What is going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, the host and founder of Seeking Excellence Podcast. Guys, this is what I've been wanting to do for a while. Um, I want to do it in a little bit of a different way, but I really feel like the Lord just kind of had me wait on it and, and think about it. And yeah, I, just, I, I, I like to do podcasts when I just randomly get fired up about something and then do research and then talk about it for a long time. And so that's exactly what I did today. And so this is, a, this is a, something that I'm really, really passionate about. Um, made the announcement last night that I get to be a student for life ambassador. Very blessed to be a part of that community. Uh, awesome opportunity. Um, and I just wanted to share with you some of my thoughts on this and some of my thoughts on and church teaching on the death penalty, on abortion, on racism, on all these things and how they kind of are intertwined and uh, how I believe that as faith-filled people, we should approach them. Um, and so it's a difficult one. There's a lot of tough statistics in this, uh, some graphic graphic stuff, some hard things to hear, but I think it's really important. Uh, and I hope that you, you learn something. And as I say in the end, if you did learn something, if you have an objection, if you have a comment, thought, question, please reach out. God bless. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. Be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. and never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Hey, what's up everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield. Excited to be with you today. Uh, got one that I've, I'm really excited about today to walk through this question, as you see in the title there, is the death penalty being used as a pro-life distraction? And so, there's a lot to that. I want to give some context to it first and foremost. And really just, I mean, there, I have a lot of things I want to go through today. I have almost two pages of an outline. Really did my homework for this, you know, uh, it's something that I feel really passionately about. So as you know, if you follow me on, on social media, uh, for friends on Facebook, or if you follow me on Instagram, you saw last night that I uh, posted that I am going to be a, well, that I am a student for life ambassador. And so very excited about that. Uh, my good new friend, Anna Lewis, uh, Anna freaking Lewis, uh, reached out to me and gave me the opportunity to be a part of this, which is really cool. You know, I think that I'm certainly unworthy uh, to be a part of this crew that she's got going for us, uh, but very honored uh, to be a part of that. And uh, yeah, and just to get to know her and the other people that we get to work with now to fight for life in America. And so Really, all this kind of came from 
uh, was kind of inspired by something that I saw recently on a very popular Catholic account that had, or that was promoting and selling a t-shirt that on the front had defend life. And on the, on the back had different tenets of Catholic social teaching. And so I'm not like super familiar with Catholic social teaching. I have some vague ideas about it. I've done a little bit of research, a little bit of learning. Um, but I think more, I don't, I don't, this is not going to be a, a podcast that's attacking Catholic social teaching or that's criticizing that or that's critiquing or even evaluating it. But I think that there's some, some similarities, some commonalities that we see within people who um, are big proponents of Catholic social teaching that I see uh, just kind of in, in evangelical liberals or Catholic liberal Catholics as well. And so I want to talk through some of these things, um, especially in regards to abortion and especially in regards to abortion and how it relates to the death penalty. And so when I, when I say that, is it being a distraction? The reason why this t-shirt made me think of this is that I saw the shirt and obviously you think defend life, Typically, the movement Defend Life, Being Pro-Life has been emphasizing the fight against abortion, right? Like you're, you're pro-life, meaning that you're, you're fighting for the end of abortion. Doesn't mean that's exclusively all you're pro-life in, right? But it means that that's what that's what that typically stands for, right? Typically what that, that statement is, the statement that you're trying to make in something like a Defend Life shirt is fighting for uh, the end of abortion, right? Very worthy cause a very needed fight, right? Something we need to be a part of. Recently, I think you've started to see more of people saying that the pro-life movement is not inclusive enough. It doesn't uh, bring in all the different initiatives or issues or problems in the world and saying that you can't be pro-life and be uh, against, you know, welfare, things that help the poor. You can't be pro-life and be against uh, climate change, initiatives or climate change policies, no matter how radical and extreme they are, because eventually that's going to hurt people and, and, and take lives, right? You can't be pro-life and be for the death penalty, et cetera, right? We're all the pro-life that you heard this a lot in 2020 into 21, towards the end of the Trump presidency last year, um, which we're going to talk about some of these stats and stuff uh, that AG William Barr and um, President Trump executed a number of inmates on death row. And so you heard a lot of people saying at that time, where are all the pro-life people now when uh, they're killing these inmates, right? And I think that there's, there's an argument to be made there. I don't think that it's absurd and ridiculous and stupid, um, but I do think it's misguided. And I think that it's ultimately a distraction. I think one thing we have to be wary of, you guys know that I like, you know, my, my strength finders, like strategic is one, one of my things, right? So I love to think about strategy, both for my side and against my side, right? And wherever I stand. And God willing, I stand on God's side with the church. You know, hopefully I stand on God's side and on the side of the church and truth and love. But I think that one thing that I learned, you know, as I look at um, something like that, and I think this happens in a lot of different ways. I share about this a lot with racism, but it happens in almost every issue, social justice issue that we have, right? Is you start to see the world kind of comes up with these arguments and they present them against the church. Then they start to twist and manipulate them a little bit more so that they're a little bit more emotional and a little bit nicer. And so, you know, I think the emotional nice arguments always kind of go hand in hand, right? Like, don't you care about X? Don't you care about this person? Don't you care about this issue, right? Like that matters to you, right? So you have to be against it. So you have to take this stance. And I think that it's always dangerous when you start to see the church, usually after that argument starts to come up, usually one to two years later, you start to see the church and people 
who identify as Christians, who claim to be Christian, who, uh, you know, a lot of times go to church, go to mass, they start spewing the same arguments. They start using the same things against ourselves. And so it's really interesting to see this, right? And I think that I see it the most in the pro-life movement. When, you know, during election season, sold all the time. And I love, I have the 116 logo tattooed on my ribs, right? The 116 is a, is a Christian rap group, Lecrae and Dimineo, still my favorite rappers. But a lot of their stances, it seemed like they, they started to push some of these like worldly arguments as to how, and, and these seem to be a lot of the, uh, some of the Catholic social teaching arguments, which I think that this shirt encapsulated because of the fact that it's, it was a defend life shirt and on the back, you know, there's the seven stanzas or whatever, seven tenants, and nothing said anything about abortion or, you know, being pro-life in, in regards to fighting for the end of abortion. So typically what we see is you see the world, people start pushing back, right? So if you share something like a pro-life message, uh, a, a message that's against abortion, you'll see somebody push back with something like, you, so you don't care about X, Y, or Z, right? So you don't care about the homeless. You don't care about the poor. So you don't care about the climate. So you don't care about immigrant, right? It's always, you're, you don't care about racism, which is nonsense, right? And they try to put it so that you, you, you know, you have to pin one up against the other. And there can be no logic in you voting for a certain candidate, for you taking a certain stance. And not only that, this is the worst thing that happens. And this is the crux of why I wanted to have this message. The worst thing that happens is you take the attention off abortion. Right. So when you have somebody who's sharing a pro-life message or somebody who's adamant, adamantly pro-life, they're very passionate about it. And you start every time they, they share something that's pro-life, we start nitpicking into what do you think about abortion or what do you think about climate change? What do you think about immigration? You really start to lose the attention that is taking place around abortion, right, that we need to have around this issue. And why do we need to have why does abortion deserve that attention? The reason is this. And let me be very clear when I say this. Abortion is the single most egregious, most horrific human rights violation of our time. And this is the big kicker. It's not even close. It is the most egregious, most horrific human rights violation of our time. And it's not even close. Right? So when you think about all these other things that are happening, it's not even close. They don't belong in the same conversation. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how absurd that is and how I think you know, so many times people will use the death penalty against pro-life people the same way that BLM will use police brutality to cover up the issues facing the Black community. When we think about the issues facing our world, when we think about innocent people being killed, the, the ratio, you know, the percentage, when you, to bring into the same conversation something that has such a small factor plays such a small factor in our society versus something that plays a gigantic and enormous factor in our society doesn't make any sense. You'd have to be a lunatic, right? You'd have to have no common sense to bring those up. But not only do we see the world doing that, which you can anticipate and expect, but we do it as Christians. We do it as Christians and we say, okay, well, I'm pro-life, but that doesn't mean just I'm just against abortion. It means all these other things. Yeah, sure. That's great. And you should be all those other things. You should care about immigrants. You should care about the poor. You should care about the, the planet, right? We're, good, we're meant to be stewards of the planet. We should be uh, against the death penalty. I agree with that. I'm going to talk more about that and my stance on it and my journey with it. But abortion can stand alone. We can just talk about that. We should have things, and there are, praise God, you know, Students for Life, Students for Life action, live action, uh, that are just doing these amazing things and fighting for life, the March for Life, right? We don't have to have this exceptional, like we, we don't have to have this, you know, we have to be all inclusive when we say we're pro-life so we can be woke. Stop that. It's stupid. 
is really, really dumb, I think, because all it does is just distract. It just takes the attention that we need to be concentrated on this issue and divides it up around all these other things. And you know, you can at least imagine, right? I don't know the documents. I haven't looked at, you know, the newspapers from the 1850s, but I'm sure that when the abolitionists were fighting to end slavery, there were people who did the exact same thing to them. So I believe that in the 18, you know, the 18th century, in the, before 1865, the most egregious, horrific human rights violation that was happening in our country, maybe around the world, was slavery. It was slavery. And think of how absurd it would be if we, if we had a country that reinstituted slavery, right, and just was national and just bragging about it, right? And I mean, obviously, there's a lot of slaves in internment camps and things like that around the world that get no attention, no press. We have more slaves today through human trafficking than we did back in the 19th century. Doesn't get a lot of press, doesn't get a lot of attention. Typically, the people I see po- talking the most about human trafficking are pro-life people. But we want to talk about racism and police brutality and lump that in to say, well, you don't care about George Floyd, so therefore you're not pro-life. And it's like, can we not put them in the same conversation? Like, sure, like uh, on a list of things that are an issue in society, yes, like let's talk about those things. But it doesn't compare. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you why today it doesn't compare. I, I have been against the death penalty for, for a long time in my life. Um, I used to argue with my father vehemently about it and, and was very against it. I think mainly a lot of that is because, like I say, sometimes and when I talk about having some policies that are a little bit more liberal, this is one of them. Because I know there's a lot of conservatives who are pro-death penalty. And I'm not, and I've never been. Since I registered as a Democrat at 18, I've never been for the death penalty. And so I think it's important now to talk about what does the church say about it, right? Because that's the ultimate authority. And this is, praise God, this is why we're Catholic, right? We have a church that has the ultimate authority and that will teach on these things that's practical and real and doesn't, you know, flake back and forth and, and, you know, vote every year on what they believe on some of these important issues. So first, let's talk about what the church teaches. So you might not know this. I learned this just by doing this podcast, actually. In 2018, Pope Francis approved a revision to the catechism that says the following. So this is in Catechism 2267. Recourse to the death penalty on the part of legitimate authority following a fair trial was long considered an appropriate response to the gravity of certain crimes and an acceptable, albeit extreme, means of safeguarding the common good. Today, however, there is an increasing awareness that the dignity of the person is not lost even after the commission of very serious crimes. In addition, a new understanding has emerged of the significance of penal sanctions imposed by the state. Lastly, more effective systems of detention have been developed, which ensure the due protection of citizens, but at the same time do not definitively deprive the guilty of the possibility of redemption. Consequently, the church teaches in light of the gospel that, quote, the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person. And she works with determination to abolish it worldwide, end quote. And so I think that's really good. Right. And I have, like I said, I've always been against the death penalty. I understand that there are some egregious crimes uh, that take place. And this is my stance. This is my philosophy on it. And actually, before I get into mine, before I get into my thoughts, forgive me. I don't want to, I don't want to shortchange the church. So let's go back to what the church says about it. She's much more wise than I am. Right. So I think that one thing that's really important for people to understand is that this is not a, uh, an infallible teaching. That means that you have to uh, accept it. Right. So according to Catholic Answers, uh, Catholic.com, Catholic Answers tells us that 
this uh, is a doctrinal development and it qualifies as author authoritative teaching as opposed to mere theological opinion, which qualifies as non-definitive church teaching, which means it's not infallible. According to Vatican II, such teachings call for religious submission of mind and will on the part of the faithful. The church also recognizes that individuals can have difficulties accepting non-definitive church teaching and that in some cases they may find themselves una unable to accept it. And so I think that's really important to understand, right? So we're called to accept this and believe it. Um, but I think that we have to also understand that it's like some of these things are, it's okay if you struggle with it and if you ultimately feel like you can't accept it. Here are my thoughts. And this is where I think that, you know, Pope Francis words where I, I might challenge, I might challenge him if I got to have a conversation about it. I agree with the, the part where he says, or where the catechism now says, Lastly, more effective systems of detention have been developed, which ensure the protection of citizens, but at the same time do not definitively, definitively deprive the guilty of the possibility of redemption. That's incredibly important to me. So I think that in a country like the United States of America, where we have the money, where we have the resources, where we have the ability and the, the people willing to be prison guards, to have maximum security prisons, and we can lock people up for life who are an absolute threat to society and commit egregious and horrific crimes, then I don't think we should have the death penalty. To me, it just doesn't make any sense. If you know anything about the death penalty, I learned a lot you know, through being a criminal justice major in college. We spend more money with somebody on death row with the subpoenas and the, um, uh, I can't think of the words right now, but when they're uh, you know, basically fighting for their case constantly, right? Uh, constantly pushing, pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. All these cases, the court fees and all that stuff cost more to have somebody on death row, substantially more than just to have them in a maximum security prison. So I don't think that it's worth it. I don't understand why people are like so obsessed with it, why we want it when it really just costs more. And you can't not give those people the due process, right? So some people's response to that is, why don't we just not do that? Why don't we just cut it short? Why don't we only say there's only so many times you can object, so many appeals you can do? Um, but the reason why that, and one of the things that really solidified my belief in the against the death penalty is stories from the Innocence Project. So if you have ever heard of the Innocence Project, you can go check the innocenceproject.org. Um, there was that great movie, Just Mercy, um, with Michael B. Jordan and Jamie Foxx, which is fire. If you haven't seen that, you need to go watch it. Uh, because I think things like that really change your life and change your, your view if you're, if you're pro-death penalty. And so at Mount St. Mary's University, when I was a freshman, I believe, I think he came every year, but I saw him my freshman year. Kirk Bloodsworth was his name, a former Marine. This is from innocenceproject.org, reading a quote. Kirk Bloodsworth, a former Marine, who had become a waterman on the eastern shore of Maryland, was the first person to be sentenced to death and then subsequently exonerated. He was 22 years old at the time of his wrongful conviction and served nine years in prison before he was released. In 1984, a nine-year-old girl was found dead in a wooded area, having been sexually assaulted, strangled, and beaten with a rock. And so he was accused of, of having done all of that. He, he wept as he talked about missing his mom's funeral. Um, and was later exonerated because of DNA evidence as it became much more popular at that time. And so to me, if we can financially afford to, to save, to, to, to imprison people for life, if we know for a fact that we've executed innocent people and we have innocent people on death row, and that's like, I mean, there's plenty of stories here, go to innocenceproject.org, then why would we ever do it? Like to me, that just doesn't make any sense. If there's a chance that we might screw this up, like if we're not 100%, like one, one mistake, you're done. Like one mistake, you kill one innocent person, you're done. I mean, imagine being that person. 
that's all it takes, right? Like, yes, I understand the awful crimes that committed are committed by some people, but if, if we if we get to the point where there's any gray area and you make a mistake and you kill somebody that shouldn't be killed, then we should stop. It just shouldn't exist. And so that's, that's my opinion on that. And so I've always been against the death penalty. I understand that. And I've always been against it. Um, and I think that's important for people to understand. So the church teaches, you know, that we, we should strive to accept the, the new teaching of the church put forth by Pope Francis and in the catechism. Uh, that is, it's detestable, that we shouldn't do it. The only thing, like I said, that I would challenge him is that I think that his statement that more effective systems of detention have been developed is true in, in first world countries. The reason why I don't think the death penalty is intrinsically evil and is permissible in certain cases is because I always, like I say, you know, when I talk about human rights, right? When I think about the basics of things, when you think about philosophically, it's always easy to kind of reduce things to the basic, the, the most simplest form. And so to me, the most simplest form is if we form a society, right? And or if you're in a village in Africa or you're in, you know, um, in a village in India or China or wherever or in Afghanistan, and you have somebody who's going around raping and killing people, what else do you do? You know, like if you could say, yes, he did it. Like I watched him kill somebody. There's women who identify him. Yes, he has been raping people, um, you know, anybody. Like what, what else do you do? If somebody's just a menace to society, you don't have the ability to detain them and imprison them and, and they're not repentant and they're not going to change. What do you do other than kill them? You don't have a choice. So I don't know how we could sit here and say, act like it's, it, you know, and these, this is why, like to me, this is always, this has always been like the, one of the most simplest issues. To where if you can avoid it, don't do it. Why would you even take the risk, right? When somebody is no longer a threat, it's not self-defense. Now you're talking about retribution, which I don't think is a good thing. But when you have self-defense, just like just war theory, right? Like you have the ability to protect your own home. In the same way, we have a duty, not just a, an ability, but a responsibility to protect our society, to protect our community, right? And so I think that's so important, Um Another thing that I always like to share with this when it comes to just war theory and how I answer this, especially kids love to ask me that when I'm talking to high school groups or whatever, have you ever killed anybody in war and all this stuff? And they'll ask like, how can you be uh, a Christian and go to war and like fight and be willing to kill people, right? And my answer for them is always this, this little short analogy that I like to use or a story, I guess it's kind of a parable-ish. And so I say that, you know, Jesus gave us a turn your other cheek rule, but he said that for me, not for me to yell that to other people, right? Meaning that if somebody comes up and strikes me on the cheek, then yeah, I don't have to retaliate. I, I shouldn't fight back, right? I should be able to be somewhat composed unless they continue to present themselves as a threat. Then I have the right to defend myself. But it's cowardice if I watch a woman get slapped by a man on the street and I don't do anything about it. And I just say, hey, just turn the other cheek, right? I have a responsibility to lay down my life for, the, for other people. And so similarly with war, with the death penalty, we have the right, we have the ability, and we have the moral freedom to defend other people, even if that means causing the death of another person that's attacking them, that's posing the threat. And so I think that, I think it's absurd. To me, it's morally absurd to be pro-death penalty in the United States of America. And I think it's equally absurd to be, to be in the camp that thinks that it's completely inadmissible in any case, in any point in time in human history, in any civilization today. I don't, I don't like, I really don't understand the confusion on that. Um, and, and don't know many people who don't necessarily feel that way. I know that they do exist. I know Matt Walsh, one of my favorite podcasters is pro death penalty. I don't, I don't agree with his logic and argument of it. I, I get it. You know, it's one of those things that I think that it's, it's valid and, and I understand it. Like I understand some of these awful crimes you hear committed and wanting them to be dead. 
But at the same time, I don't uh, think that we need to do it in the U.S. And as Christians, I think we should give people the ability to repent in the time, uh, maximum time to, to do that. So I think that's really important. Okay, so going back to now kind of put everything in context together. Um, one of the main things, like I said, that was really big uh, and talked about was uh, the Trump administration. So this came up a lot in the last year, like I said, of Trump's presidency, because Trump administration, I'm reading now from the Associated Press, the Trump administration carries out their 13th and final execution. This is on January 15th, right? So just like six days before the inauguration of President Biden. 13th and final execution. And now this was made to be a gigantic deal. And again, it's not that those lives lost aren't sad, especially if some of them were innocent, right? Or shouldn't have been killed. That is sad. That is tragic. I'm not denying that. Just like I don't deny that the people who are killed, you know, in, in incidents with the police, whether they are fighting back or not, doesn't mean we shouldn't grieve with the family. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be sad. Doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it and have hard conversations. But when you when you put those things up against everything else that's happening in the world, it's like, is this really headline news? Like, I'm not saying it's not news, but is it headline news? And we as people of faith, we have to be reasonable and search for the truth. And, and we have to have this certain, uh, you know, prioritization of sorts, at least if you're going to fight one of the other causes, to at least respect the people who are fighting the biggest problems that we face. And that's what we don't have happening. And so check this out. Uh, 13th and final execution, right? They said that uh, federal executions had taken a 17-year hiatus. No president more than 120 years had overseen as many federal executions. So this is like, I mean, some strong, some strong language. They give you this really uh, like emotional story of Dustin Higgs, who was the last one to be killed. He was convicted of ordering the killings of three women in Maryland. Um, and there were many people who said that he was in it. He didn't do it. It did seem, I remember reading about this at the time, and it seems sketchy at best. I don't think that he should have gotten the death penalty. Um, but I don't know what happened. I didn't see the evidence. I wasn't in the courtroom. So I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Now, I do think that it's always backwards, similar to, you know, what I talk about with like Derek Chauvin and some of the unpopular opinions that I have on that, where you can't go back in time and reverse things, right? So we have to always set things up to fight for the present. We fight for the future and the present, meaning that Derek Chauvin kneeled on, um, on George Floyd's neck, right? like according to them, like the, the, that police department, the Minneapolis police department said that that was an authorized hold for police officers. You can't go back now and say, well, he shouldn't have done that. Well, if it was authorized, we should make it unauthorized, but we can't, we can't, you know, grandfather that back. We can't go back and say, well, now we've changed the rule and we're going to apply that rule. Even though it was okay when you did it, we're going to now change it. We can't do that. Right. So that's one of the things that AG Barr fought back against and said, Hey, if you don't want the death penalty to be a thing, like end it, vote it out. Like let's change it. But it is, and juries are allowed to give that as their juries, judges are allowed to give that as their sentencing. And it happened. So if they are on death row, they should be executed. Now, while again, I don't believe in, in the death penalty, that is how our system works. And so if we want it to end, the time is not to, to throw a fit when somebody's on death row, when they're getting put in the chair or when they're getting the lethal injection, the time is before that. The time is now. But just like everything else, it's always emotional, right? So this isn't, like this article is written to be an emotional thing that, prunts, that paints Trump as a, a monster. And you might think that Trump is a monster, but at least see that they're trying to emotionally manipulate you. There's, there's not going to be another word on it. 
We don't hear it when it's not emotional and they can't use it to paint somebody bad and to fit an agenda. We're only using it to be an emotional thing. And that's what's frustrating to me about this. And that's where I think a lot of these Christians, evangelicals and Catholics that buy into this, the liberal agenda that the world pushes, uh, they don't see that. They don't understand that. Oh, wow. They are just utilizing BLM is just kind of a prop, right? Why, why did, you know, in November, December and January, BLM never was never able to meet with President Biden. Why was that? Oh, because they'd already gotten all their money from for the election. He'd already gotten his money from them. Now it comes out, you know, Michael Brown Sr., Michael Brown's dad, the guy who was killed in uh, Ferguson. His dad said, I've gotten, I've gotten out of the $90 million, I think, that BLM raised last year, Michael Brown Sr. said that his, his chapter for social justice got $500. He's like, where's the money going? It's going, into, it's going to politicians. Now, meanwhile, the heads of BLM are getting movie deals and they're getting all types of hookups in Hollywood and they're making a lot of money. They're making out good. Where's the money going? There's a whole thing of BLM local chapters pushing back and saying, where's the, like, we raise all this money. Where'd it go? We never got any of it back. It's weird. It's weird. You hear those things come up when there's an emotional, they seize an opportunity. They seize the opportunity to, to emotionally manipulate, to push these things, to make you think, and to, to paint their opponents, political opponents, as bad guys. So they said, you know, there's a lot of statements like this in this article by the AP News. The number of federal death sentences carried out under Trump since 2020 is more than the previous 56 years combined, reducing the number of prisoners on death row by nearly a quarter. Now, think about that. Think about that. So he killed 13 out of 63, according to this. And think about those numbers. 13 people, some of which undoubtedly shouldn't have been killed, and that, that is tragic and, and unfortunate. But just think about the way that, that we're pushing this. Right. And talking about this, um, I, I just think it's incredibly interesting, the, the language it's used um, and the way that they they kind of use it for their agenda. Right. Uh, they said that the first woman or the only woman on death row, Lisa Montgomery, was executed a week prior to this article being published for killing a pregnant woman, then cutting the baby out of her womb. She was the first woman executed in nearly 70 years, 70 years killed a pregnant woman and cut the baby out of her womb. Now think about that. And we're, we're painting this as though we're supposed to pity this woman who was put on death row, who murdered another woman and cut the baby out of her womb. That's horrific and disgusting. And this is graphic. And I'm sorry, this is a difficult, this is a difficult podcast to do. But imagine that, like imagine then talking about that woman being put to death on death row. And we're putting that in the same conversation that if you're not against that, but you're against abortion, you're not actually pro-life. We're, we're going to bring that into the same conversation of abortion. That's, that's mind-blowing to me, right? And here's one of the other things that I think is a lie that kind of goes along with this, right? That goes along with that t-shirt, that goes along with this, this notion that you can only be pro-life if you only care about, if you care about everything. One of my favorite responses I ever heard to that was at a debate, um, and I just saw the, the highlight of it. But the woman representing the pro-life movement was asked, why don't you care about the adoption system? Why don't you care about foster care? Why don't you care about poverty and children that are hungry and poor and all these other things, right? And she said, I do care about those things. But she said, do you get mad at the, uh, the American Cancer Society for not fighting against heart disease? And the woman was just kind of dumbfounded to ask the question. And she's like, what do you mean? And she said, do you get mad at the American Cancer Society for not fighting against heart disease? And she's like, no. And she's like, do you get mad at the American Diabetes Association for not fighting against cancer? Well, no. 
So why do we get mad at pro-life people for not fighting against these other issues? People who are fighting against it to end abortion, the most horrific human rights violation of our time. If they're not fighting against all every, every, all, you know, 400 awful things that are happening in our world simultaneously, because they're focusing on the most awful one, the most important one, the right to life. Because if you don't, if you don't have life, then none of that other stuff is even going to affect you. None of the other stuff's an issue once you take out your life. We can, we can get on them and accuse them of that. Now, this is this is some of the numbers, right? So I looked on the CDC and saw some of the greatest uh, or the, the, the leading causes of death uh, amongst Americans in 2019. Heart disease killed 660,000 people. Cancer killed almost 600,000 people. Diabetes killed about 90,000 people. And we lost about 47,000 people to suicide. Now, Tell me one person with a heart who would look at somebody who's fighting against suicide, who would look at a suicide hotline and say, well, why aren't they talking about health and diet so that people don't die of heart disease? Why don't they donate their money to cancer research? Who does that? That would be monstrous and unthinkable. But you know where it's acceptable to do that? To abortion. The only place that it makes any sense in the world. And if you're a Christian and you believe that and you follow along with that, that makes no sense. You're called to live your life with truth and love and logic and reason and be rooted in the faith that every human being is worthy of life, that has they have dignity, that they have a soul that matters, that God cared enough to create them and love them, and that, that every baby that's aborted, Jesus Christ would have came down and died on the cross for that individual human soul alone. And you can't even, we can't even care about them enough to give them the dignity to be a part of the conversation on their own, to be their own conversation. No, we have to, we have to compare them to everything else. Now, again, leading causes of death, which, as they always say, is, is typically a lie, right? Because abortion is a leading cause of death in many parts of the world, many parts of our country, many demographics. 660,000 people died of heart disease. Over the last three years, the numbers that I saw, the estimates were anywhere between 600 to 8,000 abortions a year. 600 to 8,000 abortions a year. Think about that. World, worldometers.info says that there have been over 8 million abortions so far this year. That's from January 1st to today, March 10th, when I'm recording this. 8 million. Think about this. Since 1973, since Roe v. Wade, 60,236,165 abortions in the U.S. since 1973. Think about that. Now, let me go back. And remind you, in the previous 56 years combined, so that's 48 years ago, 60 million abortions. In the past 56 years combined, there have been less than 13 executions on death row. And Trump Trump and Barr executed 13 in the last year. So that's less than 30 over the last 56 years. Less than 30 people, most of whom had committed horrific, awful crimes. And the sadness and what I, my, why I fight against the death penalty, why I'm against the death penalty is because, like Kirk Bloodsworth, if you kill one innocent person on death row, it's not worth it. Can you take a guess what percentage of the 60,236,165 abortions involved innocent people dying? The answer is 100%. The answer is 100%. Every time an abortion takes place, 
an innocent life is lost. Every time an abortion takes place, an innocent life is lost. Think about that. And you want to put those in the same conversation? That's an average of 1.2 million per year. 1.2 million per year. 600,000 is is nearly 20%, or 60 million is nearly 20% of the U.S. population. Think about how insane that is. That's like losing multiple states. Think about how sad we are, and and rightfully so, sad at the number of lives lost in this pandemic, up to 500,000. Now think about 60 million lives, all of which could have been prevented, right? You want to talk about preventable deaths because that's always the saddest, right? When we think about suicide, why is suicide, you know, in many ways can be such a harder thing to comprehend than, than cancer, even though cancer can leave people rattled and destroyed and just distraught and struggling to understand how can there be so much suffering in the world? But suicide is so preventable, right? Like completely preventable. Abortions are the same way. And now I understand you could say that there are certain times where you have to choose to induce a baby into labor or do a C-section or whatever to give to, to allow the woman to, to go into labor to save the woman's life. And almost all pro-life organizations and beliefs and the church itself teaches that that's okay to do. And sometimes in that process, you lose the baby because it could be too early for the baby to be viable. But doctors, many abortionists, they, I mean, thousands and thousands of doctors have come out and said, you never need to kill the baby inside the womb in order to save the mother's life. Induce labor, absolutely. That does happen sometimes. And we, we know that those times are greatly difficult and they're, they're, they're tragic and it's sad, but that's not the direct killing of the child. And it's especially not the direct killing of the child for, for something that's not life-threatening to the mother. It's, this is the greatest issue of our time. And, and this is why I make the, the, the comparisons to, uh, to BLM, right? So I talk about it in the BLM podcast. If you haven't listened to that, please go do Catholic Response to Black Lives Matter. But I talked about this. You know, how many people were, were killed, uh, unarmed people? So check this out. So I got the stats on it for you. 135 unarmed black men and women killed by the police between 2015 and January 2021. One estimate said that over 7,000 blacks were murdered in 2019, 90% of those committed by other black people. Now, when you think of what are the greatest threats facing the black community, what do you think of? Police brutality. Why? Because it's all over the news. It's all over the media. It's all anybody talks about. Lecrae made half his album about that. And I get it. It's, it's tragic and it's sad. And I don't deny that. But when you put the percentage up and you look at what's 135 you know, out of 7,000. So if, if we have 7,500 people who are dying each year, and I told you 135 of them died in one circumstance, you know, similar circumstance, the other, you know, 6,000 of them died in this other circumstance, which one do you think we should talk about more? Which one should we try to address more? When you think about these issues and these things that are happening in our world, that's how we need to start approaching them. And there has to be this kind of analogy of triaging a patient. That's just the mature way to approach a problem. If you were a business leader, if you're a military leader, if you're a doctor, whatever you, you know, any, anything you are, if you're a firefighter, you, you go and you solve the biggest problem first. You put most of your energy and your efforts into solving the biggest issue that you face. So why as Catholics, do we dare, how do we have the audacity to sit here and act like, 
oh, let's talk about all these other issues that, that the world is facing, but we're not going to talk about abortion or we're going to, you know, downplay the importance of abortion by, by putting it in this list of things. It's in this list of things like fair wages and climate, you know, global, uh, uh, global warming and climate change and uh, immigration and all these other things. It's just in the list. Yeah, it's, it's in the list. This is a, I looked at a Defend Life t-shirt being pushed and sold by a Catholic that didn't say anything about the end to abortion and actually had the audacity to say that, had the audacity to say that the, the most vulnerable among us are the poor. The most vulnerable among us are literally babies in their mother's womb. The most safe, think about, I mean, I know I was, and I'm so thankful for my mother. I was safe in there. I was loved. My mom would have given her life for me. And I'm blessed for that. And I understand that. And I understand how difficult it can be. And I have family members who have had many children out of wedlock and they face a lot of difficulty in their lives. And I, I don't downplay it. I don't know what the situation is like to be a teenage girl and be pregnant or to be an adult woman and be pregnant and, and not know what to do and not know who the father is or be in poverty or whatever. And I understand all those things are difficult. And we can have a whole nother podcast that talks about that. Because I think that that's always the go-to, right? Is they want to downplay and then they're going to paint it as, well, you're a monster for not taking into consideration these people's feelings and their circumstances. And that all exists and is real. But you know what else exists and is real? 60 million babies have died. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have empathy for the women who have had abortions, the women who are considering abortion, for the women who you know, are pro-choice, who are pro-abortion. We should. We should pray for them. We should help them. We should minister to them. They're welcome in our church. Uh, you know, uh, the people who have had abortions, like repenting and coming back to the church. I want that for you. I've dated, I've loved women before who have had abortions. I'm not against that. I've had, I've had several women sit down and tell me, you know, in, in talking about their faith life and their journey and, and tell me that they've had an abortion. I didn't look at them any different. I didn't curse them out, tell them they're a monster. That's not how we act. That's the lie that society pushes is that that's how we respond. We just hate them. Get out of our church. Get out of here. Nobody does that. Nobody that I know does that, I should say. People do do that. And there's a very small percentage that will respond with hate and ugliness. And, th and that always exists. We're always going to have evil people with us, even evil people who de disguise themselves as good. But that doesn't mean that everybody's bad. doesn't mean that we need to, you know, end the pro-life movement because some people are, are being rude while they're picketing on the, the sidewalk. We have to be careful with that. We have to be careful with grouping these people in and saying, oh, because you're pro-life, you don't care about these other things. No, I just care about the 60 million babies that we've lost. And yeah, I also care about the 135 unarmed black men and women killed between 2015 and 2021. I do care about them. I do. But I, I just recognize that if, if we're bleeding out, you know, it, like I've said before, if in, in New York at a certain point, it, it was safer to be the most unsafe place for a black individual human being to be was in their mother's womb because there was a higher abortion rate than birth rate. That's tragic to me. That's something we should care about. Does that mean that we should care about providing them with the needs that they, they the things that they need, the women, the things that they need? Absolutely. But we can't let that neglect. We can't let that distract from the fact that we need to stop them from killing their babies. We need to stop killing our babies. We need to stop killing our babies. That's first and foremost. I always, I always make it analogous again, go back to slavery. Imagine being somebody who was, imagine being against slavery, right? Like we should abolish slavery. Well, what are we going to do if we abolish slavery? This is like the foster care argument, right? If we abolish slavery, like where are all those people going to live? We're not going to have jobs for them right away. The poverty rate's going to increase. The unemployment rate's going to increase. It's going to be more government spending. 
we're going to have more crime. We're going to have all these other issues. Right. But it's like, dude, slavery is egregious. Stop. You know what I mean? Just like, stop. I get it. Like there's going to be uh, repercussions and consequences, but slavery is awful. It is horrific. It is godless. It is evil. In a similar way, stop the argument of we have to, you don't care about all these other things. Stop it. Somebody can just say, I want babies in the womb to live. And that is okay. They don't have to have an argument of how they're going to solve every other problem in human history. You don't have to have that. You can stand, it can stand alone. And you should, you should make your decisions based on this. And I just, I simply do not understand how we have these people who would say, oh, you're a single issue voter. You only care about abortion. Even if you did, that would be okay. If there is any movement that has the issue to has, if there's any movement or issue that has the right to stand alone, it's the pro-life movement. And I'm telling you, if you don't believe that, you need to go watch Unplanned. You need to go to liveaction.org and watch some of their videos and watch these things and to see what happens in an abortion. You need to watch the baby, you know, struggle and fight for its life in its mother's womb. See what happens. If you think that it, I'm just, we're just exaggerating and it's not real, see what happens. You see people like Abby Johnson, who is un, you know, diehard pro-choice until what happened? Until she saw it in an ultrasound. And she saw how they use an ultrasound, which usually is a moment of joy, of celebration, of new life, to detect a heartbeat, to see the baby's arms and legs and head and brain develop. She saw a doctor use the ultrasound to reach in and pull the baby out in pieces from its mother's womb. It's awful. If there was an issue that could stand alone, this is it. And as I've said before, if you listen to this podcast on spiritual warfare, it's not, you're not a single issue voter if you're not voting Democrat. That's, that's absurd. Look at these things like the Equality Act, the religious freedoms we stand to lose, the ways that, the, the, way, the things that are happening in immigration. You, somebody who, I, I've yet to hear anybody who's talked about being single issue voters, that pro-life people don't care about immigrants. Where are those people now where we have these overfilled capacities? We have this crisis at the border where the kids are still back in cages. According to the New York Times, the kids are still being put in detainment. They're still being separated from their parents, but now Democrats are doing it, so it's okay. It's amazing. I don't hear those people. I don't see those people criticizing, and they're just silent. Those people don't exist anymore. The people who say, you don't care about children. What about the children who are going to be forced to go through prepubescent surgeries and hormone blockers and all this stuff because of the transgender movement? What about them? What about the schools that are closing, the education that's not, being ta- that's not taking place? Do you care about them? We could, you could turn it around and flip it right back on these people. But there's no need to do that because abortion can stand alone. It's a standalone issue. And it's the greatest human rights violation of our time. And if you're not on the right side of that, I'm telling you, it's a dangerous place. You want to talk about something, like I said earlier, with the death penalty? That This is not a you know voluntary, like you can you know, try to believe it, but we understand if you can't. Like The church is clear on this. The church is pro-life. The church is against abortion in all circumstances. where it is a danger for your soul to be on the other side of that. And you better have a good reason. I'm telling you, if you vote for people who are your Kamala Harris's of the world, your Joe Biden's of the world, who want to spend our taxpayer dollars, not just are they going to break down, you know, the things that we had in place, the Hyde, Hyde Amendment and things that kept us from, you know, spending uh, religious institutions and stuff uh, and putting taxpayer dollars towards abortions in the U.S., 
No, no, no. Not only are you going to force, you know, religious institutions to violate their conscience to provide abortion as part of their health care. Not only are they going to make us pay for taxpayer funded abortion here in the U.S. Not only are they going to fund Planned Parenthood, which is inherently evil. Not only are they going to um, do all of those things, but we're also going to be starting to pay for abortions abroad. And if you're voting for those people, I'm telling you, you need to have a better argument than uh, Black Lives Matter, racism, and immigration that hasn't changed. And I'm telling you that global warming might not be sufficient. If you think it's just global warming, I don't know what it is. I, don't, I really don't understand the argument. If you think it's a $15 minimum wage, there's arguments against that and you could go either way. But I'm telling you that giving somebody a $15 minimum wage and putting 1.4 million people out of a job so that 900,000 people can benefit, that might not be sufficient for 60 million lives. That's not some math I want to do at the, the last judgment. I'm telling you, that's not, it's not something that I'm look, I, I would look to do. And so I think you need to start triaging and looking at the problems that we face as a community, as a world, as a country, as a church, and start putting them, you know, prioritizing them a little bit more and thinking, which side of these am I on? And unfortunately, and I agree with you, that there, there isn't a party that completely represents the Catholic Church. I 100% agree with you on that. But I think in, you know, in a podcast next week, I'm going to break down kind of my journey with orthodoxy, conservatism, my journey kind of from going from an avid Obama supporter to being a, um, you know, conservative and still, as I say every day, not an avid Trump supporter, but a conservative. Um, the abortion movement was a big part of that. And so we have to understand that these distractions use emotional arguments to create slippery slopes that lure Catholics away from taking strong stances against evil and replace them with vague niceties that everybody already agrees with. They're distractions. We use things like the death penalty to be a distraction and say, well, yeah, don't you think it's bad that innocent people die on the death penalty too? Yeah, I don't think those people should die. Almost everybody agrees that innocent people should not die on, via the death penalty. So what are you even standing up against? What are you standing up against? You're fighting for, if you think about these things that I just saw in the seven tenets of Catholic social teaching, the, like standing up against racism. Okay, we're all against that. Everybody's against that. Basically, what you're doing is taking the things that are actually difficult to stand against, which are things like trans, the trans movement and the especially trans surgeries and things happening on children, the force usage and, and uh, taking away religious liberties and First Amendment, the attack on the Second Amendment, the attack on private property and, and abortion. You don't want to stand up against those things. So I'm just going to make these kind of vague niceties, put them on a T-shirt and say that I'm pro-life. And if you don't believe in all these things, you're not fighting for all these things the same way that I am and fighting for this liberal agenda, then you're not pro-life. Great. When you are standing up for something, and, and I use air quotes for that, you're standing up for something and everybody in the world is on your side, or at least the majority of the world is on your side, that's a dangerous thing. And that's where I get frustrated. You see these, these quotes from priests and bishops and sometimes the Pope. And I see people that I know are very worldly, that are not religious, that are not faithful, that are not reasonable and well-formed and virtuous, and they're sharing these quotes from these people, that's dangerous. And if you're sharing those same quotes and you believe those same things, you might not be as formed and faithful as you believe. And so I pray that God gives us the humility to all continue to search for the truth, to all hunger for the truth, but to fight for the truth and not water it down so that we can be more accepted and tolerant and you know, loved by society. That's not what we're here for, guys. I'm telling you, if you're not, if you're one of these Catholics and Christians who are, are just kind of going along, like I said, in the spiritual warfare, coasting along, niceties, take a day off, take a break, love everybody, love is love, you know, 
all these nice things that everybody agrees with. We should fight to end racism, obviously. We should fight to end sexism, obviously. Everybody always agree, already agrees with that. We should care about immigrants. We should care about people fleeing countries. That doesn't mean we can't protect our borders. That doesn't mean that we have to let everybody in free, you know, just free willy, like just open, open, open them up. Some things are more complicated than that. And I, I love the childlike enthusiasm that a lot of people have to want to base things down and, and make them super simple and make it look like everything's black and white, but they're not. And this is why we need adults to run our country. And this is why we're in danger right now because people are utilizing positions for power, for political gain, for financial gain, and it's dangerous. And how long, I ask you this, if we're killing 1.2 million of our babies in the womb, in a place that should be loved, the most innocent people among us, the most innocent people among us. I, I just am so in, 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 unbelievably shocked by the people who will defend somebody like that woman who was killed, first woman killed on death row in 70 years, who killed a woman, cut the baby out of her womb. You think about somebody like George Floyd and Jacob Blake and their history and their past. And we get so passionate and so worked up about them and want to fight for justice for them, which is all good and fine. Those same people will fight to fight you to death for a woman's right to kill her baby for any reason up to nine months in her womb. And you don't know which side you're on or you're, you're confused which one is more significant, more I don't understand it. I don't understand it, guys. So I need somebody to explain it to me. Would love to have some discussions around this. Love to hear what you picked up. If you learned anything, what you thought of the podcast, if you liked it, share. Please leave a review. Go follow Students for Life, Students for Life Action. Follow live action. I love them. Follow my girl, Lila Rose. She's a rock star. Um, absolute rock star. She's just an awesome, awesome woman. Go to liveaction.org. See what they're doing. PragerU has great videos and things on this. If you have any question about abortion, please reach out to me. We can talk about it. Uh, Persuasive Pro-Life by Trent Horn one of my favorite books on it. Um, and Lila Rose has a great podcast. Uh, she's done some good podcasts on it as well. And so just encourage you to do your research. This is not one of those things where you can be lukewarm. In my opinion, I don't think you can be lukewarm on this on this issue, and 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 uh, and be in good standing in the church. Doesn't mean you talk about it every day. Doesn't mean you have to fight about it. But if nobody in this world, other than you, knows how you feel about this, you you, you might be in trouble. That's I don't think that's good for your heart, for your soul, for your mind. I think that we need to start talking about it. We need to be more open. We need to be more vocal about this. We need to be having these hard conversations and trying to share the truth with people with love, as always being cognizant and gentle towards the people who have had abortions and things like that, undoubtedly. But in what, in what circumstances, you know, if you think about it in a, in a reasonable way to, to fight for the life of a baby in the womb at the risk of offending or hurting some, some women who have had abortions, despite the fact that I know those are difficult situations and challenging issues, that still the, the victim is the baby that was lost. And if the person voluntarily got an abortion, they chose to do that. And so in what other circumstance do we, for the sake of the, um, you know, person who took the action, not speak up for the victim? In what other circumstance do we do that? You know, that to me, that's, that's similar to saying, well, if we end slavery, like some people will be financially hit by it and they're going to be really hurt and that's going to really be bad for them. Their whole livelihoods are tied up in this. Yeah, well, we need to end slavery. Yeah, it doesn't mean we should be like screaming and cursing and, and talking awfully about women who had abortions, not by no means. But to not speak about it for the fear of, of hurting some of them, to letting them know that what they did was wrong, it's actually good. We're called to rebuke the sinner. We're called to let them know that, hey, 
this is morally bad. And if you've done this, you need to repent and God's open and God loves you and he's merciful and he wants you back in, in, in his arms in his heart and his family, you know, and, and communion with the church. But this is a serious grave offense and we need to do something about this. Let's help you. Let's help. Let's, let's let me help you get some help and take some steps in the right direction. But remember the victims, these are babies. These are individual souls. Each baby that was aborted, each one of those 60 million babies, Jesus Christ, the son of God would have come down from heaven, suffered, died and rose again for them alone. So we have to remember them. We have to fight for them. We have to be the voice for them because there is no Frederick Douglass of abortion because all the babies who are aborted will never have a voice to speak. They can never speak up for themselves, which is why this is going to be one of the hardest human rights fights of all time. So God bless, be your best, continue to pursue sainthood with all you can and be bold with your faith, be bold with fighting for the truth, be courageous and be strong. God bless.